welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello, everybody. We live in the era of entrepreneurship and startups. If not yourself, at least you might know someone who has gone to pitch her idea with investors. But how to effectively communicate with venture investors? Our guest today will bring us light into this interesting and dynamic world. Will Carwell is an American based in Helsinki. He has spent 17 years in the Finnish high-tech environment in several roles, including venture capitalist, CEO and board member of a number of companies, researcher, lecturer, and, let's say, public speaker. Hello, Will. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here, Will. Will, could you tell us more about yourself and your projects? So um, I have a fairly, in my opinion, complicated background, <laughs> but I'm originally from the United States um, and came to Finland in 1996 to run a research institute connected to the Helsinki School of Economics. Actually, originally came here in 90 and 91 to get my MBA. Everybody asks, what, why, why Helsinki? And, um, okay, there's always a simple answer, which is a woman, uh, <laughs> my wife, Jana. We, but, we, but the interesting part of our story may be that we were perfectly happy living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, great weather. You know, international crowd, good people, nice university. Um, and then I decided to drag us back here. So it's my fault we're here. So I get cursed every year during the winter. Uh, why, why did we choose to come back? But anyway, so came back in, in 96. My background is uh, my training is in finance and mathematics. Uh, I was running something called in Finnish, or the kind of Finnish... Uh, Uh, business Finance Institute, you might call it, and uh, uh, LTT Research actually was the official name and still exists today. It's running the Financial Institute. I wrote a book comparing Finland and Israel's venture capital communities, kind of my first launch into the startup and venture capital area. Before that, I had been more of an econometrician and you know, more into the kind of math and science behind it. But in writing that book, I spent some time in Israel during the, you know, 96, 97, 98, which was a fascinating place to be because of the, you know, startup boom there. Effectively, the, the premise of our book was that um, Israel had 100-plus companies listed on NASDAQ that were all less than 10 years old, and most of them even less than five years old, so on, listed on the main stock exchange in the U.S. Finland at that point didn't have any. On the flip side, Israel didn't have a so-called company for life like we had in Finland, being Nokia at that point. So there was kind of an envy on both sides. The Israelis were like, you know, we'd like to have a Nokia. And the mm -hmm. fans were like, well, we'd like to have these hundred listed companies. <laughs> so the idea was to figure out what was, what you know, what the kind of, what we could learn from each other. And uh, one of the things that we got uh, out of that was a... Uh, Uh, concept of how to connect the startups, uh, what Israelis had done to connect their startups with the U.S. financial markets, and that was through joint ventures between U.S. investment banks and Israeli venture capital firms. 
And uh, so that was one of the four or five conclusions we had in the book, uh, which was published by Citra in 1998. And uh, soon after we published it, uh, a local VC and a U.S. investment bank asked me to try to do that in Finland. Uh, because there are actually, I don't, won't go into it, a lot of similarities in terms of science, engineering, between and size of market between Israel and Finland. So I, I set up something called Equitech Advisors, which was a uh, uh, basically a joint venture between Equitech Partners, which at that point was the largest venture capital firm in Finland or in, in the technology side, and Robertson Stevens, which was a U.S. investment bank. And through that entity, we helped a number of Finnish companies raise capital from international investors. Uh, the kind of top line ones were uh, solid information technology. We helped raise uh, 50 million euros from the likes of Intel and Investor in Sweden and several others. Digia, uh, which is still a major company here today, listed company. We've raised money, I think, from Cisco and Sony and Intel and uh, several others. So anyway, we had a, uh, we helped companies raise money when the bubble burst in 2000, the dot-com era kind of came to a crashing end. Our, our U.S. partner kind of disappeared into their banking relationship. They were related to a huge uh, commercial bank called uh, Bank Boston, and so or Fleet Boston at that point. So they merged into that, and the, this technology investment banking industry business went away. At the same time, Equitech Partners was raising a new fund, uh, so I went in as a partner there and took my team in uh, with me. Uh, we had a team of five or six people, and uh, so we formed kind of part of the team to do the se- se- their second fund. So I was partnered at Equitech for almost four years, left in 2003, middle of two, or end of 2003, to run one of our uh, daughter companies, which I was a chairman of, or our, our investment mm-hmm. companies, called Valama Wireless. Did that for almost three years, uh, went back to the board in 2007 to uh, and helped and went as a venture partner at Connor Venture Partners, which is kind of one of the leading technology investors here now. I uh, was there for about a year and a half as a venture partner and doing some other things. From there, I went uh, for two years to Technopolis to run their uh, incubator activities around, around Finland. And then from there, I went to Alto University, and I've been mm-hmm. kind of associated for, with Alto for about five years. And so I always say that I've been kind of on most sides of the table as an investor, as a board member, as a CEO. I've helped found companies, not been the founder in any case, but uh, I've also been an angel investor uh, and a researcher. So have a lot of different angles on this. Sounds really fascinating. I've been from the... Complicated, maybe. Also, <laughs> <laughs> from the... From the very beginning of this uh, uh, startup ecosystem here in Finland, mm-hmm. Will, could you tell us briefly what are the type of venture investors? I usually look at them in kind of, in a way, in three buckets. And, and it's related to, not so much into the type of investments they make, but the type of money that they use to invest. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first one that typically startups will run into is a so-called angel investor who's investing his own money or his or her own money and has a some of them are fabulously wealthy they might Mm. so some of those now there's a category called super angels so they may invest millions but in general these are people that invest you know tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of euros some cases millions so that's one case but they're investing their own money so that's they're they're you know they're very 
in a way, hands-on. They want to invest in projects that they feel the passion for, and they want to become effectively part of the team at some level. Uh, the second category would be venture capital investors, and they're people that are investing other people's money. So they're effectively investing in pension fund money. They're investing uh, uh, insurance companies, foundations, other kind of third parties' money. So they're not investing their own money. So that makes them a little bit different than an angel who's you know totally possessed with the few investments they make. The venture capitalist is trying to create a portfolio. So from the from the startup's perspective, the venture capitalist has more resources, uh, and when they come in, they can usually continue investing later on if more money is needed, as opposed to an angel has limited financial resources. But at the same time, they're you know they're more of a financial investor, so less passion driven. They still I still want to say they're definitely the best ones are driven by passion, but at a certain level, they they have to answer to a portfolio. So it's not if. You know, the company is really failing, but they're still passionate about it. You know, they've got other forces to listen to, whereas the angel, you know, is just uh, only has himself to answer to. And then the third category would be uh, corporate venture investors. So this is big companies like Intel, Cisco, Sony, Merck, um, all across the board, Shell, Exxon, Mm -hmm. that are investing either off their balance sheet or through special purpose vehicle funds. And they're, of course, strategic investors. So they're looking in general for things that are uh, uh, complementary and symbiotic with uh, their core businesses in general. So you have different incentive from all these three. And that's, I think, from a startup founder's perspective, you have to have a bit of a different message for each one when you're addressing an audience or an individual, group of angels, like Finland has something called FIBON, which is a Finnish business angels networks. You're investing, a, you're presenting to a bunch of individual angels and they have a set of incentives. Maybe you go to an investor conference, a red herring, or there's something called White Bull now and some others where they're more or less venture capital investors. And those are, you know, again, a little bit of a different message for them. And then if you're talking to corporates, different. So it's a bit of a, in my opinion, there's no one single pitch for all of those. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have a slightly different sure. message. They need to be consistent, but, but different. So three main types. Right. And how to communicate effectively with these three types of venture mm-hmm. investors? What is in common? Uh, interesting question. Um, my my general answer to that is you really need they're they're very um, they're different animals so you need to figure out their rhythms the rhythms that they want so let's say in the if we start with venture capitalists you the first thing I, I always say is you really any major news that happens or is happening to the company should be shared with the investor regardless of what type they are. And I say this because often founders will tend to share good news and hold back bad news until it's too late. And um, mm. that's one thing I just hate is, is, is and everybody hates, is, is, is getting surprised. Um, you know, while you've been getting a message of, you know, really positive stuff, and then all of a sudden you're out of money and you need money tomorrow. So, so everybody wants to hear both sides of the coin. And I think that's one great thing that's changed in Finland over the last 10, 15 years I've been in the industry is now there's the willingness in, uh, of, of everyone to hear not only the positive side, but the so-called, the fear of failure is 
decreasing and thus people are more willing to share the, the, the dark side of being a entrepreneur or, you know, of, of the startup, which there always is. Um, so within that scape, you know, not being biased, trying to share consistently, have a rhythm, you know, venture capitalists in general, you're going to be preparing quarterly statements. So they're going to want to see your books every quarter, half year. And then they're, they're going to want to hear probably monthly some sort of an update, uh, you know, who are the new customers, who are the prospects, uh, largely a lot about customers. And we talk a lot about customer development. What are you learning about the customers? How, how are you using that to adapt the product? So, you know, I think the venture capitalists and the angels really want to hear a fair amount of detail about what's, you know, how you're getting closer to the customer. But in general, I'd say, you know, monthly, count on monthly communications with VCs, really weekly with angels to, you know, certain ones anyway, the ones that are really hands-on. Corporates, you know, um, may or may not be regular. Um, you know, corporates are tricky because they, you need, you need to be careful what you share with them. Because in general, if you get a corporate investor early, you don't want to be totally locked up to them. That's one of the keys is you don't you sell yourself too early, sell yourself short. If you've got a, a corporate investor for 10% and you're sharing all of your market information, well, that's their objective. They want to see the market, the changes through you, but it may not be in your best interest to, you know, have them totally, you know, kind of uh, knowledgeable on everything you're doing. So that's 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 the only place where there's a little bit of a, I would say a game. You need to be careful how how you share. Otherwise, you know, now with digital means, highly recommend people having something more sophisticated than email because uh, email now is uh, it's you know I think it's already a thing of the past for the most you know most sophisticated investors. You have some sort of a you know digital environment, whether it's Patio or you know now there's things called Lean or Launchpad Central, Lean Launchpad, other things where you can, um, we can share. So anyway, a lot of, I, I, I'd say t today, it's a, you, you want to share and you often share a lot. Um, and then, of course, understand what they want to hear. They will generally tell you what they're specific. You know, maybe some of them are particularly interested about finances. Some are particularly interested about product management. Some are particularly in, interested about sales. Everybody actually is interested in sales. That's the <laughs> fundamental thing. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of the way I look at it. Will, is it really useful to learn a elevator pitch? Mm. Yes. <laughs> so short answer is yes. So, and this is, I, I've, I've really tried to get underneath this. And then one of the things I do at Alto University and at Helsinki University and several others is I teach, uh, co-teach with a colleague, Fabian Sepulveda. We teach something called New Venture Formation. And um, we try to, Convince, get people out of their comfort zone. So you always, as a as a founder, as a startup, you know, even as a worker startup, you're pitching all the time, uh, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> you 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 need to be. That's the that's the the, the nature of the beast. And uh, the elevator pitch, you know, there are a lot of different formats for that. And what I what I, you know, I think you need to learn a storyline. You need to be able to tell a story. Uh, and engage people, and people are engaged in different ways. So, in particular, if you look investors, I, I, there's a famous video that I always, always show: two super angels from the valley, uh, Mike Maples and Ron Conway, two 
I don't know if they're billionaires, but effectively they're investing in hundreds of companies. And they really, they really look, they look for different things in startups. One of them, I think it's Ron looks for, really looks at the team. And that's, you know, that's kind of the team, team, team. They want to see, mm-hmm. wants to see a great team. Yes. Um, the other guy, Mike Maples, he, he really looks at the market first. And then, you know, the team is important, but the market is the first thing. So he gets excited about a market, a good idea that, you know, will go into a big market. Then he looks at the team. But the, the, the hint there is that if you pitch the same way to both of those guys, the same order. And so, you know, all over you know, their blogs, all over the place that will tell you, here's an order of things you do. If you give the same pitch to both of them, they will react differently. And um, one thing I love is uh, there's a guy named Fred Wilson in, in Union Square Ventures in, in New York, really famous investor early. Actually, all three of those guys were early investors in Twitter. And uh, Fred talks about uh, the chemistry, actually, how because you when you're pitching, it's about getting the chemistry in people's brains going, and people react differently. And if they're hearing information in ways that they don't expect, don't like, then there's a negative reaction, and it's a chemical reaction. It's scientific, and so so you want to be, you want to understand, in particular when you're going one on one, what are people lo- looking for? How do they like to receive information? And what order, and so you can kind of fine-tune that list of 10, 12 items that you really need, uh, customize it for the, you know, for the audience you're talking for. And, of course, in a big room, you can't, um, you know, if you, you've got to, you can only give one elevator pitch to the 60 angels or the 50 venture capitalists or whatever, and they are all going to absorb information differently. So that's where I, I think the storytelling is very important, that it, it, in a, in a, kind of a pitching, kind of a bulk situation, pitching to a lot of people, you've got to tell a story. It's not technology. It's about, you know, uh, what is the user, you know, what is what what excites your users? Why are they willing to pay for this? Why are they going to buy, buy, come to you in the millions? So, yeah, I, I think the angel, the, or the, the idea of the, of the elevator pitch is absolutely valid. You just have to be really careful. I've, I've talked to many uh, founders who really... You know, they look at each other, look at themselves in the mirror, and they memorize a pitch. And there may be value to that if you're also adept at modifying that on the fly. But you know, I've seen so many cases where I can sit. You know, there's a there's a founder and there's an investor, and the founder is speaking along his kind of trained way to present the data. In particular, if they're an engineer. And the, 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 the investor has already flipped the off button, you know, the off switch in his mind after 10 seconds. So I think there's an artistry to this that's about empathy and about being able to understand what the person wants to hear and how they receive information. And then you need to feed right into that. Oh, yeah, that's very, very interesting because, uh, yeah, you have to know your audience. No? That's mm. something that we, we always talk about. Uh, public speaking, know your audience in advance and then you... You craft your pitch based on that, and and it's it's nice that you already mentioned storytelling. That yes. was something that I was uh, about to ask you. And mm. about storytelling, you recommend to to have many stories ready, ready mm. to be used. So mm. what, what would you say? Um, I think you need several mm. because you need you need stories about customers. So you need you know why what what excited this particular you know person who's in your target group? Why you know why did they really take up on this and start using it a lot and how did it change their life so that's one kind of a storyline you need 
I think you also need a storyline about why, about the founders, why, how did they come up with the idea? You know, what, what is it that behind, you know, what's the story behind that? Why would they get this idea? Why can they execute it better than anybody else? Um, you know, what's the secret sauce uh, behind the, behind the team? And I, I think, you know, I was just looking at talking about this other day on kind of product development uh, lecture. Why is it, you know, the, the startup has come up with a product or a service, and that product or service is an extension of the founding team in general. So when I'm an investor, you know, I can observe the, I, I can, maybe I sometimes know some of the founders, I know their background somewhat, but the thing that I can really observe about what their ability to do something big is what they've created so far. And, and I want to know, so I, I want to always, when I'm being pitched um, and I'm being told a story, I want, I want vis something visual. I'd like to see a, at least a mock-up or uh, some sort of a prototype or whatever. You know, Power, PowerPoint's nice, but it has a lot of limitations. So there's a huge level of, uh, I think, credibility lift if you can actually pull out your phone or pull out a device or do, do something that shows more than, you know, you've just built a PowerPoint. I do, I do think those, but if you look at it from those two perspectives, the story of your users and the story of the founders, if you've got good stories around that, then, you know, and then of course, maybe a story about the product as well. But uh, I just heard a very powerful one yesterday um, with a kind of a, a wellness device company. And uh, it was co absolutely compelling uh, about the background of the founder and what he was up against to, to, to it, what drove him to this particular solution. You know, and that compelled me more than two hours of, you know, other data about what's happened. So I, I'm a huge fan of storytelling. I believe Finland, by the way, is, you know, fin Finland was built up by storytellers, interestingly enough. Um, you know, artists and poets and whatever. Kalevala is the, the thing that holds the whole country together in some sense. And so that storytelling genetic, genetically is there. I feel that a bit it's been, you know, Finland needs to get back to that, uh, you know, respect for storytelling and you know the people need to learn it early on will please share with us your favorite quotation does it have to can it have uh can it have uh curse words in it <laughs> <laughs> my favorite quotation that i, I use over and over again is a, a you can bleep it out if you have to uh have to um uh it's it's from um the movie Training Day by uh, with Denzel Washington, and uh, he talks about how this this shit's not uh, checkers; it's chess. And um, and the point there is that um, that uh, that I think when you're when you're building a startup, there's a chess game that goes on, and I feel that a lot of people play checkers. So checkers mm -hmm. being you know one move at a time. Whereas you really have to be highly strategic to get to your end end goal, and um, it you see it all the time, uh, and it it's a chess game that involves you know kind of creating resources out of nothing and uh, and kind of always you know overstating honestly the case because I think that's the that's you know the the challenge is that you know you want to be honest and straightforward. 
But at the same time, if, if you're not a little bit over the top, then people are not going to, you know, you're not going to get to the next meeting. Then the problem is if you're too far over the top, the next meeting will fail. So the art artistry is, is kind of negotiating that to, you know, to give scenarios for the future that are exceptional. And I think, again, I equate that back to a chess game. You can look as if you're, you know, miserably failing until you somehow pull out the victory in the end. So, um, and I have many, many, you know, I, I just see that over and over again, that people are, are, are thinking, you're not thinking two or three moves ahead. They're only thinking about the next move. And um, somebody needs to do that. You know, product development needs to absolutely think kind of incrementally, but, but I think it's, it's important to take a, to take, to look at a st very strategically mm. these kind of things. So the difference between checkers and chess to be strategic. Yes, <laughs> it, it's, it's, a uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a huge Denzel fan. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's probably the, the, the key there. Could you recommend us one book that has inspired you and you think our listeners should read it? I think there are a number of those. Uh, I mean, there's of course a lot of, a lot of great books out there. I'd say if the one book that really changed the way I look at things, and this was, I read, I can't remember the year. It's probably 2010, 2011. Um, uh, it's called The Black Swan by Nicholas Taleb. And, um, and I think it's now moved kind of into the conscious of, uh, consciousness of, of a lot of startups. And it's, it's, tri it's a tricky concept. But basically the, the, the idea of The Black Swan is that the original, the story goes that they were all, all every, up through the 1700s, people had only seen white swans in the Western world. And then, so if you use that huge data set of thousands of millions of black, of, of white swans people have seen, you'd, you'd guess that the next swan is white that you see. Mm -hmm. Well, eventually, I think it was Australia or New Zealand, somebody found a black swan. So black swan has been taken, so their, their point about that is that you could never have predicted that there's going to be a black swan. You're going to see a black swan. Um, uh, the second thing when it's um, uh, kind of applied to companies, so people talk, you know, think about Googles and uh, Facebooks and um, Genetechs and, you know, big startup hits, you know, how, how do you predict that, you know, you, it's very, there's such a, you know, tale of the distribution incident, you know, how can you predict and find those? Um, and, you know, uh, as they apply black swan, people say, you know, okay, you can't predict them, uh, but they kind of make a massive impact eventually. And then people try to explain why they happen later. Um, and this is what I, I'm, I've, I've kind of tried to focus on to a certain extent is how do you, how do you identify the black swans, how the, the kind of tail of the distribution events. And I can't say I'm very good at it. Uh, um, And I think none of us can do it. In venture capital lore, um, you know, actually, you know, Google, Google was pitched to hundreds of investors before somebody said yes. And actually, I, I, I worked with a Stanford um, uh, tech transfer office who'd set, who told me the story of how they tried to sell the algorithms to Yahoo and mm -hmm. Microsoft and everybody, yeah. and nobody wanted the 10th search engine. That thing, you know, has made more money than Stanford than any other of their, you know, thousands of tech transfer projects. It's still yielding money to it. So 
something where nobody wanted actually turned out to be the kind of game changer. So what do you, how, do you, how do you kind of put yourself in the position to identify those while you're following good business practices? And because you, you, know, you can't bank on becoming a startup cannot guarantee they're going to become a black swan. I, myself, I looked at MySQL as a partner at Equitech when they were raising money first or second round 2000, 2001, we said, no, we believed that, uh, uh, you know, nobody would ever make any money in open source software. So it was the shortest discussion I, I remember. And, you know, that decision not to invest in that costed tens of millions of dollars to us and to the fund investors. Every good VC fund has those cases where they've, you know, they've, they've missed. So anyway, that the Black Swan kind of helped put that in perspective a little bit, and I think Nichols to Lab is a very interesting guy to follow. I also, you know, related to that, also often put it alongside Malcolm Gladwell uh, books because you obviously have to train, and so you've got to look for the Black Swans, but you've got to work like hell to become an outlier. So it's a it's a little bit of an interesting mix. Well, it's almost the end of the interview, but before, could you tell us? An exercise, something practical that you recommend to do it daily or weekly as a routine to shine? I think I've, I've been, um, I get back a little bit to the way the brain works because I think the brain's the key to everything. And um, you need to do everything to keep your brain healthy. Kind of, you know, both physically and, you know, mm. spiritually and everything. So, um, so... I guess I, I strongly, and this is a fairly recent adjustment I've made, is really focus on 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 trying to stay healthy. Uh, and it's something I've, I've not been that healthy in the past or kind of consciously, but, uh, but now I think, um, you know, for the future and for the last, you know, six months, I've really tried to, um, to just find every chance to exert myself, whether it's taking the stairs or walking instead of driving or, or whatever. And I think that's because that, that gives you time also to think and it, and it keeps the, you know, keeps the wheels turning. You mentioned the, uh, or we mentioned this, uh, there's, a, there's a company here called, um, called Health Puzzle that, that talks about uh, their uh, kind of micro tasks. So again, micro activities to, you know, it's not about setting up to jog 10, mile, 10 miles <laughs> a day, but it's more about, you know, just changing small things about yourself. And I, I so so that's that's maybe what I'm, I'm thinking a lot about now is just how to keep myself moving and, um, and, and keep the blood circulating. And, and you know, this, I really believe this, this the chemistry of the brain is 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 the key to everything so you need to you need to make enable your own chemistry to work I guess is what I'm saying um, uh, so that's a I, I don't know if that's great advice but uh, it's at least um, it's hard to argue with <laughs> it is I couldn't agree more will thank you very much for the interview. But finally, could you tell us how our listeners can learn more about you or follow you? What's the best way? Hi. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, pretty active on social networks. So Finwill is the uh, Twitter handle. And, you know, my phone number is online somewhere. I won't say it here, an email and everything. So all these, all these things work. 
I try to respond to people, and I, I do. I do feel that that's important. That you know, at least get get back to people quickly. So I try to do that. I'm not perfect at it, but um, uh, I welcome anybody to follow up uh, with these or any other ideas. Excellent. Thank you very much, okay. Will. All the best. Thank you. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or for more information, visit our website www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.